You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abracha. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Jr. Yerushalayim. I'm Avram Kivalevich. Dr. J, I know that uh, we have spoken of many, many topics over the last few months, and uh, we are always happy to hear your insight, your understanding, um, your critique. And as we have sort of delved into the human condition, and we've talked about the differences between a psychological perspective and perhaps a religious perspective and how one can bridge the two. Uh, I know that there are many, many issues that uh, you would like to comment on. And I, I know before we started recording today, uh, you told me that you had a, a real vested interest in speaking about uh, the phenomena of, I would say, you could, one way to refer to it is uh, fertility anguish. Uh, the ideas that couples who are desperate uh, to have children and do go through extreme means in order to be able to accomplish this. And I think what especially fascinates you is the dynamic that occurs in the religious world, whether it's the Haredi or modern Orthodox world, uh, the Jewish world of having a child and what are some of the options of fulfilling that need. Uh, fulfilling that command, as it were. And um, in your practice and in your observations, I know that you have been aware of difficulties and problems um, that I think that you believe you could perhaps uh, shine a light on and give some greater understanding. Now, I'm ready now to throw the mic up. wanted to speak about this, not only because I feel a lot for parents who are going through... Um, the um, trials and tribulations of childlessness and what it does to their relationship, to their social standing, and also what the ameliorations, such as adoption or um, going through IVF, does to their relationship as well. And I thought it's important, we just uh, reviewed a film called Private Life, which is about a couple going through uh, attempts both for IVF and adoption and looking at what it does to the fabric of their relationship. And that's really what made me think that uh, maybe now is the time for me to sound off about this and especially to juxtapose it with a, um, a, a sophisticated understanding of what religion and organized religious life has to say about it. So that's where I'm coming from right now. Um, so uh, let's just say this. Um, childlessness is a threat to most people. It makes them feel somehow that they're not as uh, good or as fine or as proper as they're supposed to be, that there's something wrong with them. And that's especially true in, I know, in Orthodox Judaism, where family is very high on the totem pole, of values, and not just family, but children. Having children is very high, and the mandate to having children is very high. Um, So um, I want to compound that, at least within the Haredi community, where um, the marriage, actually, if you ask for the purpose of marriage, most people would put having children first, 
which means that if you are married and you're not having children, by definition, your um, marriage is much less than purposeful, if you want to put it mildly, which essentially means that the stress then on having children is not so much on what people um, intuitively would tell you that they're doing it in order to help, in order to be nice, in order to keep society going, whatever in the shamas, that it really is to save your marriage. You're having children so your relationship can be going, which can be seen essentially as a, a, um, a mis, an unguided sense of value, because that's not what in strict, uh, 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 the strict prescription of the cultural aspects of the religion, it's not so that you can save your marriage. So that's important in itself. Um, I also want to say that when you have the intuitive understanding of wanting to have children, which is very common for many people who have nothing to do with the religion, that it gets confounded when there is also a mandate. So I mean, the, the course example I can give you is if you're enjoying a steak and potatoes, right, and a beer, and somebody holds a gun to your head and says, you better have a steak and potatoes and beer. It doesn't work. It, it, it takes away a lot of the motivation, a lot of the enjoyment, and a lot of the positive experiences. What I'm saying essentially is that if you go through an adoption or IVF, not because you really want to have kids in itself for you, but because you, you wanted to save the relationship or to become a respectable member of the community or not to be ostracized or to make sure your husband doesn't divorce you, that your experience of having those children and then raising those children will be tainted, just like as the guy who's trying to wolf down the stake because the guy's putting a gun to his head. Um, I, yeah, what I would like to do is just to start with that as main pointers and just first of all find out if I know what I'm talking about. Are there halachic mandates? Are there responsa that relate to this, and also, of course, if they actually relate to the state of mind or the psychological effects of the couple, I would love that. If there aren't, I can extrapolate <laughs> from it. There's some areas I want to go to. So now it's, I'd like you to inform me, inform the oh, listeners, okay. where you guys come from. Please. All right. Well, first, just to respond to the last little thing that you said, I, I think that, and again, I am far from a person who understands the uh, deep workings of the brain in a, from a psychological standpoint. But I, although I would just agree with you that being forced to do something based on convention or the sense of a mitzvah or uh, clearly can take a lot of the joy out of this, I, I think most of us who have been parents uh, can relish and love the eventual experience of what our children bring to us. Um, there is this uh, biological uh, receptor of seeing the kids grow, seeing them being cute, sensing their love. So even though what might have forced this couple to go through the intense difficulties of having the child, the, the benefit doesn't have to be necessarily tainted by what began the process. So I would just respond there without any rabbinic hat on. And I think that 
many of them. So, uh, yeah, okay, what do you want? I, I see that you want to say something about on that point. Go ahead. What? Think of, of, of a phrase which may or may not be related, which says that when you study Torah, even if you have ulterior motives, they say, that even though it's coming from a different perspective, but eventually gets caught up in the spirit of it. So I just thought this is a kind of a rabbinic adage. Thank you. All right. To. Yes. I, but, but again, I think what they are talking about in Torah and in generally, even doing mitzvos, general things, is you're right. We, we do eventually come to appreciate the beauty of the experience, despite the fact that 20 years ago, he would have said, I didn't want to have kids. But look what they actually bring to the table. Look what that the 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 events do. So, so I I, I don't deny that people can have a deep seated resentment that they hold over, and sometimes burst through the surface. And there are definitely a lot of damaged uh, family dynamics that are the byproduct of the fact they didn't want to have the children in the first place from a real desire. But I think. I don't know if that's most of the families. I would say even those that are driven, we must have children because this is the imperative of what our community wants, love taking their kids out to the zoo, love seeing the simcha of the kids coming back from school. And I think that, therefore, I'm not, I, I don't see, again, although you probably have encountered troubling cases, I am not exactly sure if that's a prescription for a failure. But let me get to the, your, what you really wanted from me. You wanted for me to know what is the rabbinic Torah, Talmudic perspective. This is a very big topic. And I think one of the things that makes it unique is that the, I'm going to say that the mid 20th century, um, especially, and, and maybe this was true uh, throughout Nor- the, the whole Western culture, not just in the Jewish world, there became this idea of we can't have children, we're childless, what do we need to do? So adoption became an option as, 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 as well as advancements in medical uh, technology that allowed what used to be a childless couple to now possibly have children. Before the mid 20th century, and maybe you know right after World War II, the idea of going through, there wasn't any concept of going through uh, first of all, scientifically, there was very little you could do. I would say that's the history of medicine backs me up. But in terms of adoption, adoption was usually seen as an act of chesed, an act of loving kindness that some other couple, whether it was a grandparent or an aunt or just a, a regular wealthy burger who happened to know about an orphan child whose parents had died and the child would be taken in, the grandchild, the nephew, the niece, uh, the stepchild was generally seen as a Rahmunis case, a case, and let's take this child in. And m- most of uh, rabbinic literature banks on that type of dynamic, where look what you've done for this child. What does the child owe you? Is the child considered your your son or your daughter? There are many, many uh, discussions about. Um, how the child gets called up to the Torah. Can you, does the child inherit you? Um, what is the status um, in terms of the respect uh, that's owed to this parent? I think what you're referring to, although these are good antecedents, is a new thing that has started happening in the mid 20th century, which was we want kids. And the only, and, and can by adopting a child, can this fulfill our need? 
as opposed to we are helping this poor child who otherwise wouldn't have a home. No, we have the need. We want the child because we want to somehow feel fulfilled as humans and maybe, as you say, also to fulfill the mitzvah of, of having children. So I think what has happened is that the rabbis of the mid-20th century, and I'll start with Ramosha Feinstein and others, started laying the groundwork for what would be a orthodox rabbinic approach to adoption. And um, they were very guarded in terms of their advice. Um, they, they really sketched out, I think, uh, the issues. And I think that you would be surprised, Dr. Juni, by the sensitivity that they had uh, to issues of, of, of for example, of uh, informing the child of its of his true parentage of of sensitive problems down the road in terms of um, interpersonal and physical rea- relations or it doesn 't mean uh, but actually hugging kissing uh showing uh too much love there was they, they did actually give quite a um, extensive guide to how it should proceed. And um, I am actually taken by the, the, the wisdom that they, that they showed there, it, uh, realizing that this is basically a difficult situation. Um, now, they do not, uh, but I think where you're going from, and I'm not sure if I'm right here, you'll let me know if this is what you're saying. Um, the, the, let's assume a, a couple would like to have children. And because that's what everyone's doing and they want to get the, the, the enjoyment of having children, perhaps um, instead of submitting to this intense medical uh, procedures, perhaps what they should do is realize there's so many children out there looking for homes and perhaps adoption should have been option one because it solves two problems. There is, there's, and again, this would mean, and I'm just saying parenthetically, this would mean adopting children from the third world, adopting children from countries that are, uh, that the, the, the children there are severely undernourished with, with parents not being able to take them. And then you have in these wealthy countries, parents that are looking for children, why go through the medical procedures that tax that are expensive? Just uh, here's the supply, here's the demand. Why wasn't there just a push to, to do adoption uh, wholeheartedly? I don't know if that's what one of your questions is, but I'm, I'm reading between the lines. Tell me, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me just chat out some pros and cons here so it will put all this in context. Okay, let's talk about um, a couple that wants, needs, has to have children, whatever the case is, the choices of going through complicated fertility issues versus adopting. So I just want to throw out units one after the other. In the Haredi community, if you adopt a child who does not look racially like the standard child of your community, you're going to get eyebrows raised at you and the kid is going to suffer either um, overt or microaggressions. They're going to suffer a certain amount of prejudice. So that's step number one to consider which includes in itself that the kid himself or herself will feel strange. It's not just what they'll get from others, what they'll feel about themselves. 
Secondly, you go through IVF procedures, which can be harrowing. And again, I'm still under the impression of the uh, movie I just reviewed. It causes pain. What inevitably happens, says Dr. Freud, is that some of that resentment will be channeled against the child, knowing it or not. All right, Rachel calls on Benjamin, the, the, the child of my suffering. All right, if she had not died, I assume that the Benjamin would have gotten some kind of um, um, negative um, feedback from that as well, even though it's certainly not his fault. Um, the IVF procedure or those procedures cause resentment between the couple because rarely is it something that's equally pushed by both. It's usually one versus the other, and there will be resentment. The husband would say, look what you're making me go through, or vice versa. That's another issue. Then there's the issues that come up if it's not your child, but you're adopting in terms of being um, open and uh, transparent with the child about what's going on or not. What often happens is that if you don't tell the child and you pretend it's all there, there's no question that parents at some level of their um, consciousness feel that they're being duplicative, that they're being insincere, that they're lying to the child. And then inevitably in terms of halacha, but socially it's not inevitable, but often happens that when the truth comes out, the child feels betrayed, the child feels lied to, um, feels kind of strong. I, I know an instance, a cousin of mine, who we all knew was adopted, he did not know he was adopted. And ultimately, um, we're talking about the cousin already, he had children who were teenagers. All right, so we're talking later on, and then one of the parents got ill, this, the parent was a poor family. The parents were poor. The cousin was filthy rich. And then we saw that what was going on in the hospital was that the mother was getting a horrible care. And people started saying, what is with you? You know, like, it's nothing for you. You own 65 nursing homes. There's nothing. He says, she's not even my mother. Anything I'm doing over here is a major mitzvah. Okay, so that kind of stuff. That, and that's not just because she's not my mother. He resented it. He resented being some kind of stranger. That matters as well. Um, so so where, that three factors. Let me just do one more. And that is when you convert a child. That has a whole string of issues. Um, I'm not talking halachic issues now. I'm talking about social issues. Uh, if the item finds out, or even if the child looks strange, kids will say, this is really a guy. This is not one of us. And I can imagine some parents who don't have their heads screwed on right, when they get into a crisis situation, they will take a 10-year-old kid or a 13-year-old kid who was caught smoking or taking drugs saying, you know, I know we shouldn't have taken you because you're really a guy. You're not a good person. <laughs> and that's, that's not the norm, but that will burst out, especially in moments of stress. That can be a, 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 a horrible issue. And then the final thing is that we have to face the notion of why we're adapting. The notion is always we're being nice, we're being the, a much uh, advanced exemplar than those people who have Rahmanis and the Yisayma. That's one way of looking at it. So I'm being nice to you. But if you want to be cynical, especially a child who senses the issues going on, will say, this has nothing to do with me. This is your own issue you came up with. I'm a pawn over here. 
Don't expect me to kowtow to you and be thankful. So I just threw out a whole bunch of issues there, which I'm sure will relate a lot to what you're saying about halachic stuff. And yes, by the way, I'm aware of what the rabbi's attitude is, and I'm quite um, uh, complimentary about what they do. I know of David Cohen's approach. I did not deal personally with Moshe Feinstein, but I know the tshuvas, and we've used it a lot with parents when the issues come up, but I use it more in terms of preemptively knowing what to do before I advise parents who do any kind of adoptive uh, considerations as get some counseling by a prominent family therapist who can kind of anticipate the issues and just work with you before you get into hot water. So please put that into no, you, in some way, you've sort of like answered what I wanted to say. I, I, I think that Rav Moshe, uh, Rav Moshe's prescriptions weren't always followed because, as you know, uh, a psaac that's written to one specific person, even though it gets published and people read it and know about it, isn't going to necessarily relate to the nitty gritty family life uh, and details. But Rav Moshe was was adamant that the child needed to know at a pretty early age, that they were adopted. It was very important for the child not to think that they were the biological um, uh, progeny of their parents in order to stave off certain halakhic problems in the future. So whatever his reason, Rav Moshe was actually counseling for a pretty um, sophisticated approach where the child gets the love, the, the child understands that he is loved and, and they love him and he's a completely part of the family. However, there is this truth about this biological fact. Now, Rav Moshe also understood that at least when he was writing this in the 50s and 60s, there, uh, the, the, adoptive, uh, the adoption, uh, I don't know what you would call them, they, they weren't the, the adoption agencies is probably the best way to say it, uh, were very strict about giving information about who the original birth mother and father were. And it was uh, for many years, I don't know if it's, I think it has changed in the last 25 years. It was sometimes very difficult. Uh, you have to go through many hoops to discover who your biological parent was. And in that way, um, it, it, it does put the child in a very strange situation where the child can't even reach out and try to figure out who the, the parents were. And I think Rav Moshe understood this. He said he said it was um, regretful that we don't we don't have the access to that information, and it would be better. And in fact, he he wasn't against uh, reconnecting and understanding who the original biological parents were. On the other hand, uh, the Rabbonim did everything to encourage, and Ramosha especially, I, I, I would say, unlike many other poskim who are still saying this, uh, Diane Weiss, uh, Zatzal, Sternbach, and others, um, who were very strict that once the child reaches a certain age, there cannot be hugging and kissing and the normal signs of love, Rav Moshe actually using his, his, his Talmudic brilliance was able to actually say that in terms of affection, in terms of spending what we call yichud, in terms of spending time alone with them, it should be continued. Uh, he had, again, I don't want to go into all the details, but he actually is one of the champions of not uh, discerning and not saying you're different, and, and the proof is I can't hug you and kiss you and, and, and show the type of love that I have for you. So uh, it, my, these prescriptions might not have been followed 
especially since in the Haredi Chassidish world, Rav Moshe was considered the outlier <laughs> at that time. He was considered the Rav for the rest of the world. And in general, as you said before, the well-intended, the well-intentions, the good intentions of the Rabbonim and, and the, even their psychological insight, whether it be Rav David Cohen or Rav Moshe, isn't always followed on the ground. So what I would ask you is, and I'm going to put you on the spot, would you say that this couple should resist torturing themselves and a possible child and perhaps consider option three, which is, look, we can't have children. Whatever the thing is, it's not going normally. Let's try to do other things to make our life more meaningful. Let's try to work on the relationship between me and you. Let's try to perhaps uh, give money Look put this way, you know, Dr. J, you sent five or six kids, I think it is, to through school. The the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we are somewhat saving by not raising children, let's think about ways we could be philanthropists and help the world in a better way. And instead of letting ourselves get agonized and, and our, our souls being tied in knots over not self-actualization, let's own up to this reality enjoy what we have, and try to do our best in terms of making the world better, even though there won't be any physical uh, progeny that emanate from us. I think that's where you're going. Am I incorrect in that assumption? Okay, so you've squeezed me into a corner where I will not stay because it's, it's constraining me too much. So let me tell you just my general motifs. My general motifs is you will definitely have dissonance and problems in an adoptive relationship as you I mean more so than an IVF relationship but if it's not your child and you know that it's not your parents there will be trouble there is it worth it then to say I'll go somewhere else and then start a whole new set of frustrations of not being able to parent I, I can't make that judgment to me it's like um this presents problems, the other presents problems. I can't weigh which is worse and which is better. But I can tell you something that's Machiavellian. I feel that um, the fact that you have, um, we have the basic notion, do we or do we not share with the child that he or she is adopted at an early age? Um, My general feeling is that everybody would be better off, given all the pluses and minuses of the child not knowing it. And if I could be like uh, shall we say, um, authoritarian enough, I would make a band that nobody ever tell a child that they're adopted. That would be beautiful. You know, the heck with reality. It'd be beautiful because you have people growing up regularly with some nagging thing in back of the parents saying, oh, it's there, but I'm enjoying for se- of saying it. Otherwise, I'll violate whatever kinds of norms. Essentially, when you have the halachas of mamzeres, which means we have to be careful who this person married. I mean, if the person gave up several children for adoption, we have to make sure those marriages don't occur. The problems of Yichud, etc., they force our hand. When I say our, I mean the religious society's hands, because now we have to reveal. In a sense, it takes the responsibility off our shoulders. Oh, yeah, I would have done what Juni says, but come on, there's a halacha, so I have to share it. Now, I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to feel bad for sharing it. But now that that's done, the deck has been stacked already. So if you're asking me what would I say if the halacha would not be there, I don't know. But for me to say, okay, so weighing all together, I'm going to put pluses and minuses and come up with a total formula saying, yes, 
it's still worth adopting or having IVF versus giving your money to the March of Dimes or to Yaksara or to Pua, which promotes fertility. I don't think that um, one can have that kind of formula because that would mean pretending as if once you do that, you have uh, the absolution and you feel I did the right thing because whatever motivates people to have children will know at you. It will not let go psychological. You can't intellectualize away something which is almost, shall we say, a human need or a human pre-programmed issue. So I can't stay in that corner. And especially if we're talking to a religious audience, I don't even have a choice, right? You have the mandate. You don't have the mandate. IVF, I mean, do you have to go through IVF and all these kinds of painful, expensive procedures in order to have a child? You'll have post-him who will exempt you saying, no, you don't have to do that. You're not required. But if you do it, you definitely are complying with the overall mandate of having children, which is probably one of the basic Jewish values ever. So that's, uh, that doesn't get you anywhere. So I don't know if it makes sense to give that formula saying, send your check to the UJA and you're off the hook. That ain't going to happen. So I'm getting out of that corner. I have to tell you, uh, and again, this is one of the the fun things about uh, doing this recording with you. Uh, again, we are we know each other, and I would say we've been good friends uh, for quite a long time. I don't know if you want to own up uh, how long, but definitely since the the, the mid seventies. So I've known you. Uh, we're going on uh, fifty. We're going on well forty five years or so, almost. Um, you're surprising me, really, uh, here because. I, first of all, you are one of the uh, people that I look to, to explain to others, live with this realistic situation and make the best of it, as opposed to live in a fantasy world. If a couple made a choice because they were attracted to each other, and then it turns out that a medical situation precludes them from having children in the normal way, isn't this, this pretty much the same thing as discovering any sort of uh, physical reality that is pretty much immutable um, and uh, unless you're going to go to extreme measures. And what's healthier is accepting what life throws at you rather than trying to scamper like a lab rat and trying to figure out how can I escape that? I, I would have thought that coming to terms with things is your bread and butter. And that if a person wants to sort of like uh, uh, push themselves in places that that go against the normal situation that that is unhealthy inherently so i'm surprised really dr j that you feel that um that that is that that isn't the option one last thing that surprises me and i want you to explain yourself is that you you actually believe that now that the adoption is, is has happened you would be you would love there to be that there is no um, uh, need or psychological benefit, you're saying, of the child knowing. Why should the child know they're different? It would be better now that this is something that is completely erased. And I- I'm surprised because as a Freudian and as someone who uh, realizes there's things that always are, are traveling underneath people's consciousness, don't you believe that this secret will also uh, end up hurting the child. If the, if the child, if, the, if it's whitewashed completely, you, 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 it seems like you don't think that there's any benefit whatsoever. Although I, I think you would agree that the cracks are going to show 
how many people are going to be able, like you said, you talked about the parent who's going to uh, give out the, the, the words, uh, the cruel words about you come from a guy. Is, isn't Rav Moshe right from a psychological perspective as well, despite the halachos? Isn't it right for a child to show the child? And let me just end with uh, this. I have a very close friend who was probably one of the most anguished people I've ever met about his infertility issues. And uh, he was a, a great, great Talmud Chacham. And, and, and he walked with a cloud of, of melancholy over him constantly. And when he decided to adopt, his life changed completely. But he said to me, what he did was he started this album. And in the album, he took pictures of the steps through the adoption. And his child, who I met when the child was about two or three, was extremely aware of everything in that album, of where he came from, that the child wasn't the biological child. And he was determined to celebrate that. And they have, as far as I know, a very loving relationship. So those two things, Dr. J, what, can you respond to those? Okay, so I'm going to try to respond to all five of them, if I can remember <laughs> what the issues are. And let me also say, I'm glad to have disappointed you again. At least I'm not as predictable as some <laughs> of us. So let me say this. I want to just throw out two cute points. One of them is that uh, many children who suffer um, psychiatric traumas have this foreboding fantasy that they're really adopted. Not correct, but I'm just saying, so that is an ogre or a boogeyman that sits amongst people in general. And I imagine you're right that in cases where they really are adopted and there are some subtle signs, like I don't really look like these people, I'm taller, I'm shorter, people talk to me, oh, but, but your mother, say, oh yeah, yeah, your mother. So that might just lead them astray. Secondly, yes, from a purely psychoanalytic point of view, it would be nice if people don't fight reality if there's a disability or if there's something wrong over there, own up to it and then move on rather than try to hit your head against the wall. Sometimes the chances in IBF are 2%, 3%, and people pursue it for many, many years, figuring, okay, if I pursue it for 20 years, with a 2%, at least I have an 18% chance of making it. That's harrowing. But that is preaching to people with their ears closed. I would like to do that. I think it's ideal, but it ain't gonna happen. I can convince people to do it because I said so and I have 16 degrees hanging on my wall, but they are gonna be bothered and it's gonna eat away at them. So yes, don't be disappointed in me because that is my ideal prescription. But Freud would say that's my ideal prescription, but I will not take 80% of the cases that come here because I'm gonna be wasting my time. So you don't waste ideals on people who are by nature not ideal. Um, and I also want to throw something else out, which is often the um, silver lining. It's a false silver lining, but I've seen that offered a lot in terms of um, like pre-IVF counseling. And that is that really, if you come to think of it, Mr. Um, Applebaum, if your child knows that she's adopted, then she's going to know that you love her even more. Because with a regular child, it wasn't your choice. Maybe you wouldn't have wanted a girl. Maybe you wouldn't have wanted a boy. Maybe you wouldn't have wanted somebody who has this problem or that problem. But if you adopt a child who actually has emphysema, you knew well and you loved me despite of it. You are better than a real parent would have been. I think that's something that belongs at the end of an art scroll book. <laughs> but I've never seen this happen. 
Okay, so again, am I disappointed? I don't know. And I don't know if that will basically keep me up tonight, whether I disappointed you or not. But yes, you're right that that's the ideal Freudian formulation, but it's for the books, not for real people. It just doesn't work because the intense pressure that even non-religious practicing people feel somehow having a child means something. And a lot of that is satisfied through adoption. And my general formula is that would there not be these Allah considerations? I think balancing it all, if I was forced to say, okay, doctor, you make the decision, I'd say, yeah, never tell them, never mention it to anybody. Everybody will be much better off. So I'm sorry, living a lie? Maybe. I'm saying that the, the other factor, which I think you hinted at, was that um, although what I was the, the prescription that I was talking about uh, about just coming to terms with your life partner and just accepting the gazera, um, you felt that people would bristle on that and, and the resentment would ultimately build up. And it's coming from a biological perspective. Human beings, men believe they need to procreate to keep uh, their bloodline going. Uh, and that resentment would have would have would have would rear its head eventually. Um, I, I think usually, that usually in terms of usually in terms of introducing painful dynamics into the marriage itself, that would be the first target. Right. But but what I would say is I think that um, other than oh we satisfied our bloodline, I think the childless couple whatever type of child they have, whether it's a, uh, an adoptive child or something, I think it gives them some new focus for their relationship. We've talked about in this program about giving each other space. One of the great things about introducing a child, even though they're difficult circumstances, is the child now becomes what we can talk about. And the child, therefore, is almost a neutral topic, which doesn't necessarily threaten each other. Right. Although you could always be angry about why did you say this to the child and not having the child is not just a way to I think it could actually uh, be a buffer against those unhealthy um, type of things that will result when it's just sure. two people with each other. It's like they're just they're just arguing with each other about themselves, whereas having a child that gives them something to talk about and in a powerful way. You wanted to respond to yeah, that. In, in we'll psychological it terms, it's. it's- yeah, I'm saying in psychological terms, I just repackage it. It's a deflector, and it's also a point of commonality, which actually serves to cement a relationship and make it much more meaningful. Sure, sure. You, I'm totally on board with you on that. Right, so, right, so. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.